0: Well, so we're in Acts chapter 12. We're continuing our, our, our story, our, our walk through the history of uh, the beginnings of Christ's church. And uh, it, again, another this, this tonight has, uh, this, is a, this is a fun story in some ways because there's humor in here. And uh, so I, I really uh, just looking forward to tonight. Uh, before I start, though, I, I don't know about you, but growing up, I always loved stories of underdogs. People who, regular people who faced insurmountable odds, and yet they, they move forward no matter what. And then we see them overcoming these odds. I love stories like that. Guess how many of you saw the movie Rudy, the football media? Yeah, yeah it's inspiring. This little guy, undersized, but just a tenacious. You know, and he gets, at the end, he gets in, right, with the big boys. But as a, when I was growing up, I loved those, the whole uh, epic uh, story of the Lord of the Rings, This band of hodgepodge of characters going against evil Mordor. and Just the journey. I was a sixth grader, just devoured that over a summer. And just to to see just this band moving forward faithfully, just just trudging along and almost, you know, coming to the edge of the cliff and going over, but just, it was just a fun story. Well, we see that actually tonight, and that's kind of what reminds me of this, is that tonight... Uh, when we're looking at Acts 12, we are actually seeing as the gospel move forward, moves forward, there's sometimes where there's just these, the odds are stacked against the church. I mean, we're, we're into, you know, we're probably just out of the first decade of the church. And we have this, this one of these stories that Luke has selected to, to show us that, that just gives us a picture. Of, of what's happening as the gospel advances. And, and tonight I'm calling it, it when, when Herod is persecuting the church here, this is really the first political attack against the church. And the gospel is being confronted by man's kingdom. And again, this is still early on. So this is a big obstacle, a big obstacle. There's fearsome obstacles in the way lives lost, suffering endured, but now it's, we've got the weight of man's resources behind it in political kingdoms. So I, I'm just looking forward to this tonight uh, because here's what we'll see. God proves stronger. God proves stronger. And we'll see how he proves stronger in unusual ways. It's different than what we would think would need to happen. His people unexpectedly against all odds are delivered the gospel advances and it's relentless it's a victory march at the end of the chapter and we're we are to be encouraged by what god is doing in his church we've seen all the way through acts that there's opposition from the religious elite even led by that crazy rabid pharisee named saul and yet not only does that opposition get stopped Paul is recruited. <laughs> he, he's brought into God's family. The gospel advances. Prejudice threatened to divide the church and dilute the testimony. The testimony of a radical, transforming, redeeming power of Christ to unify people from different backgrounds. Right? We see that happening with, with the, the Hellenized Jews versus the devout Jews from, from within Israel. At that potential to divide, and yet it's it's overcome. The gospel's overcome. Then the the threat of of deceit and status seeking by Ananias and Sapphira, and how that could have threatened the church, and yet it's overcome the gospel advances. So we're seeing that. Samaritans brought in, the hated Samaritans, Gentiles brought in gospel advances so we keep seeing that happen in this we can't miss this Christ is building his church Christ is building his church and, and that's it's just testimony to what Jesus told Peter well, to all the disciples after Peter's confession you are the Christ the son of the living God what did Jesus say Peter heaven you didn't get this from your own heaven revealed this to you and the gates of hell will what not prevail against my church and so that's, uh, this is just a testimony to see what's happening. It's, and, and when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, hey, wait for the Spirit, because when the Spirit comes, you'll do what? You'll receive power. And then what? And you will be my witnesses. So this is, it's coming true, and we're seeing it. Christ is building his church by his power, and, and we just see it. We, we have front row seats to this. And it's no, it's no real surprise, ultimately, because here we are <laughs> on the other side of the world from where this is happening and Christ proved true, right? So tonight we're, we're going to see, again, this story. And, and again, there's some jaw-dropping moments. And again, I, I'll remind you and remind you, think about how you would have responded like. What would you have thought, what would you have done if you saw this happen to you? So okay, so we enter into this story. We're going back in time. We're going back to feel it, uh, because that's what how we should be in this in these narrative sections. So uh, Acts twelve, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse twenty four. I believe twenty five really should kick off the next section. So we'll just uh, go all the way to verse twenty four. So Acts twelve. About that time, same time period as as the what. Happened with uh, uh, just previous to this with Peter and the Gentiles and, and Paul, and it's about the same time period. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That's warfare. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. (laughs) This is just a great story. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Middle of the night. He's sleepy. He's He's had to be told what to do. He's barely, we're that way at the middle of the night. All right, back to the story. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. There were many, many were gathered there together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They, meaning the group of Christians there praying, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel, his guardian angel, Not, not really him. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. (laughs) That just, imagine seeing that happen. That's like America's Funniest Home Videos, seeing the people's reactions. It's great. Verse 18. Now when day day came, there was uh, no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Okay, what a story. I mean, this is, again, think about this, is that where did Luke get all these details? Because again, Luke wasn't part of, he wasn't there when this happened. He comes, you know, a few years later, you know, on a, on a missionary trip. He's, he's not brought, so he's getting, he has to interview people to get these details. The servant girl, Rhoda, her reaction, we, we have it here. And what she was getting back from the people as far as their response. Can you imagine as he's writing down this story and just thinking about this and just chuckling yeah, God does surprising things, doesn't he? But that that's that we want to walk through this to see what's happening here because it, beyond again the part that I'm talking about is it's a little bit humorous for sure, but there's a bigger thing happening here. Right? We see when King Herod, all right? King Herod, that name should bring to mind, you know, his his granddad, right? The Herod the Great who was an evil man. Killed his own family members because he was so, he was sure they were going to try to overthrow him. He was, he was a, a brutal man. And his uh, progeny were no different. And so we have Herod, his grandson, in this story here. And it says that, uh, we see that he, he begins, his violence is against the church. He, this is a, a picture of man's opposition to the kingdom of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he begins a war against the church here in, verses, uh, in verse 1. At about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And so the reason he's doing this, a little background on, on Herod, this Herod here, is that he had uh, grown up uh, for a good part of his childhood in Rome. And he was childhood friends with two men who would later become emperors. But while he was in Rome... He had made some bad decisions and uh, he was actually, uh, he had to flee Rome because he owed a lot of money, but he ended up under uh, Emperor Tiberius in prison for a bit. And upon his release, later, because he was friends with these uh, Roman emperors, it was Gaius and then Claudius, it was Gaius who made him, uh, who gave him a portion of his dad's old kingdom. And then later, Gaius, or uh, Claudius, gave him a larger part. So his kingdom ended up matching herod the great's kingdom so he was he became a powerful ruler but he had shaky ground to stand on because his relationship to rome was only as good as he kept what we call israel now under control so he wanted to keep favor with the jewish especially the jewish elite so they could keep the people under control so he could keep his power so at this time he's wanting to please the people and who are the hated people now at this point the christians okay they've started accepting in right samaritans they've started accepting in gentiles and they've starting to get a little lax on the traditions of the elders they believe in that jesus you know the one crucified the one that these are the people who filled jerusalem with their teaching and it's going all over the place so he's, he's going to gain favor. So he does violence to the church, the beginning of persecution. And it says, uh, he goes right away, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. This is the second martyr mentioned. There's definitely probably been more at this point, but this is the first apostle. This is the first apostle to go. Right? James, and this is, this is I mean, sorry, yeah, James, the brother of John. So Zebedee. We know those two brothers, right? The sons of thunder, the ones who went to Jesus. Actually, their mom did too. Say, hey, can my son sit at, at your right hand? And he says, no, If you, you're going to be suffering, right? And they're going to suffer this. They're going to drink from the same cup. He said that in Mark 10. And indeed, James here did. John didn't, though. He lived to old age, right? But his life was hard. And you hear about what Nero did to him. He was brutal. So both of them suffered But this is the first of the apostles to, you know, join the Lord, to die. So that's the first thing that happens. And again, imagine the church. This is one of the apostles. Remember, early on, in the first days of the church, the apostles were doing mighty miracles. Hey, these are our guys. We follow them. They're the mighty ones, right? Imagine, you're a human being. You're watching them. And and then all of a sudden, one gets killed. You're like, uh uh-oh. Because before this, God had miraculously, you know, helped them escape several imprisonments, Peter and John, a couple times. So think about what you would be thinking as, as a believer watching this happen. What's, what's happening here? Uh-oh. So persecution starting to happen. This is scary in the life of the church. It goes on in verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he captures the apostle Peter. And this was during the days of the unleavened bread. Unleavened bread, that's that's the week of a, a feast that happens after the day after Passover. So altogether it was eight days. And that's a significant time in the life of the Jews. When was the first Passover? Ah, the deliverance from another political empire. Who were killing God's people, Egypt? I think it's I think it's a little significant here that that then God had to deliver the Jews, but He did it in an absolutely extraordinary way: the the ten plagues, and then going through the Red Sea, and there was great judgment brought on Egypt. Right? So this this is a reminder: God can and does deliver His people but in very extraordinary, extraordinary ways. Because what did the Jews do to flee, uh, to actually conquer Egypt back then? The answer is nothing. They just obeyed God and did, went where he went and killed the animal at the right time and put it on and hid underneath the blood, stayed in the house, and then just went. Right? The sea, did, you know, the sea parted and they walked through. Who did the delivering? God. So this is, again, this, this, to me it's just too, too close here in, in seeing this connection. It was during the Passover feast. And then God is delivering his people again, his, his man, from this persecution. Again, the Jews are pleased, so Herod's trying to capitalize on this. He wants to gain favor. And, and this, this should you know bring, because we're talking about Peter's deliverance, but why did he allow James to die? Why, why let Peter live and James die? We don't know why. This is one of those things where we have to rest and trust in God's sovereignty. God is the one who has the plan. God is the sovereign one. He's the wise one. He's the most loving. And he has his redemptive plan. And he will carry it out. And, and so James, did he die a useless death? No, he'd been, he'd been ministering for probably at least 10 to 12 years here at this point at, from the beginning of the gospel, or beginning since Pentecost happened. So we, he had a fruitful life. It's just we think, well, it could have been so much more. But you know what? God knows what he wants to plan. And we just have to trust because we don't know why. It doesn't say in Scripture why James died and Peter didn't. We just see what happened. And this is where we just trust God, right? Right? And I'm pretty sure James was not disappointed when he opened his eyes. Where, who's he with? He's with the Lord, right? And I, maybe he got that well-done, good and faithful servant, maybe. I would want that, right? A fruitful life ended sooner than we as human beings might want, but the God's in charge of this. and We've got to trust him. But he decided to keep Peter alive for his his purposes. And we have to understand, when the Bible says the Lord is good and does good, Psalm 119, 68, we've got to trust that God is. And he's proven that way in my own life. But in scripture, it's very clear. He is the one. So Herod's plan. If we notice, uh, when he does arrest Peter, he doesn't just throw him in a cell. He puts puts four squads of, of soldiers to guard him. Some say it was just for the night watches. I think it was for the whole 24-hour period where he had four soldiers to watch him for six hours each. Okay? Two were chained to him, and two were guarding the door. All right, So he has four squads of soldiers, because if you look back to Acts chapter 5, when he was thrown into prison with John, there was an angelic delivery. Herod's thinking, that can't happen again. I'm going to make sure there's people chained to him. Ha! Don't you love it? Don't you love it when, when man tries to stop God's powerful plan? And that's exactly what happens here. God just in his in a powerful display. And I think tongue-in-cheek. Now, I'm not saying has tongue-in-cheek, but just, it's just, there's that, just like when it says that God laughs when the nations rage against him in Psalm 2. I think this is one of those that are saying, well, I'm going to have to show you again. God's power on display just absolutely making a mockery of Herod's Herod's plan. So he he sets this guard around him, and now we get to see the story unfold. So Peter was kept in prison. He was locked up. He's in probably the Antonia prison, which is right. It's right there in Jerusalem. It was at the north end of the temple complex. A, a, it's where the the garrison was stationed at certain times. So he's kept in that prison. Big prison, strong prison. Um, and, And it says this, but earnest prayer, not just prayer, earnest prayer, fervent prayer, constant prayer, intense prayer was made for him to God by the church. We have man's warfare, man's methods, man's prisons, man's chains, man's opposition to the gospel. And how does the church fight? Prayer. What should that bring to mind? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. How do you stand firm? Well, you put on, you, you use God's armor. You put on these, and we'll read this at the end, but it ends up in verse 18 saying prayer three different times. Praying, prayer. Matter of fact, if you look in the, in the book of, of Acts, when Luke mentions prayer throughout and up to this point, Oh gosh, one, two, three, four. Well, there's a whole story there. Five, six, seven. I mean, there's over twelve instances of prayer in the Book of Acts at, to this point about the church and the prayers of God's people. Acts one fourteen. All these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. They're waiting, like Jesus told them to, together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 1.24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. A big decision, they get to prayer. Acts 2.42, the new community after Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Devoted to prayer from the very beginning. Going to God beseeching God, praising God, talking to God, God, move, help us to do what you want us to do. Acts 4, 24 through 31. Already preached on this one, but after Peter and John are released, right? We have Acts 4, 24, it says this, and when they heard it, they heard the report from Peter and John about what God had done. They lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Their response to persecution early on wasn't that Hey, stop the persecution, please, Lord. It was, Lord, make us, give us more courage. Help us be more bold. That's warfare. Praying to God in the midst of it. Lord, help us to shine brightly. Help us to speak clearly. Help us to have the courage to say what needs to be said, to glorify you, to tell the nations. Doesn't matter if there's the political kingdoms and the religious elite. Help us to be bold. We can go through Acts 6, Acts 9, Acts 10, and a couple places, three places, four places. <laughs> Just constantly, the church was about prayer. The church was about prayer, because that's warfare. We're going to we'll be done earlier tonight, so we can spend some time in prayer, because we need to. If we want things, if we want God to work in this church, we have to be devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the ordinances, and to prayer. We have to, we have to be praying for each other that we'd stand firm. We have to be praying for our church to stand strong and to shine brightly. So that's what happened. We're, we're, we're now we have the stage set, right? And and uh, here here we have the divine deliverance. We have Peter's rescue in verses six through seventeen. And we see that God has an ear for the prayers of his people. And then we see that he cares for his, for Peter here. So now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. They're on either side of him, either side of him sleeping. Okay. He's not fretting. He's what? Just resting. He's all right, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. He's going to sleep. Some says that he was, he was being lazy here. No, he's sleeping, and he's, just, he's guarded on either side. He's chained to these men. So just picture what that must look like in a cell. Okay? So he's chained to them. Bound with two chains, and centuries before, before the door were guarding the prison. So he's got four guys devoted to just making sure nothing, he, he can't get out. They're devoted to him and him alone. And behold, (laughs) coming into man's fortress, the Antonia fortress was big. So coming into man's fortress, man's might, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Bing! (laughs) Just, again, picture what's happening. And a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him. Probably had to nudge him, kick him a little bit. Hey, shh, wake up. Peter, get up. It's, it's night. He's asleep. How would you do if you were in, the, in your REM sleep, chained to two people? You're, you're, you're thinking, well, I don't know if God's going to deliver me. Now, James just died. So maybe it's time for us apostles to start getting killed. Maybe that's what God's going to do. I'm just going to trust God. And also, he's getting nudged. What do, you, what do you think he's maybe thinking? This soldier fell asleep and he's kicking. He's having a dream and kicking me. Back back off or whatever. So, this is again, picture the story. (laughs) It says, Wake up. Get up quickly. And the chains just fell off of his hands. Doesn't say how, it just did. That's what God does. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. Uh, When I was a parent, my kids are out of the home now. When I got my kids up early in the morning, they didn't function very well. So what did I have to do as a dad? Step by step, help them think. Not even think, just do. To get them getting ready for breakfast so we can get them out the door to school. That's what's happening to Peter. here. He has to tell them what to do. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Okay, now put on. It's kind of cold outside. Just put on the cloak. Let's keep going here. Let's keep moving. And he went out and followed him. And this is the great. Imagine Luke writing this as he's writing this. What he was thinking, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. <laughs> Man, that's just so makes it such a real, earthy, and this is this is reality. Those comments. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord opens up and they went out and went along one street and after they were one street into the city what happens immediately the angel was gone this is divine deliverance Peter did nothing he barely knew what he was doing the mighty Peter the apostle right we have James an apostle who's dead we have mighty Peter imprisoned but God intervenes Imagine hearing this story later as a Christian in the early church facing the persecution. What are you thinking? Oh my goodness. Our God is a mighty God. Yeah, we may die, but He can also deliver. Man, let's just, wow. (laughs) And then when Peter came to himself, woke up. Oh, wow, this isn't a dream. He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expect- expecting. Think about Peter's, Peter when he's waking up and it's just the recognition, this is real. But imagine his own confidence. Remember, the apostles, when they, when they you know, after the resurrection, they didn't know everything perfectly right away. We see that even later, Peter still made mistakes. I mean, Paul talks about a confrontation that he had with Peter and Barnabas at Benantioch. And we'll talk about that later. These these were not perfect men. So this, think about how encouraging this is to Peter. It's like, wow, I know that this, this God is doing this. And he's rescued me. Just the confidence, almighty God is confounding uh, the, the, the evil plans of man God acts sometimes Christians die, actually, a lot of times Christians die, not so much in the united states we 're very insulate, insulated here, right But you hear about around the world Christians die, but there 's also amazing stories of god 's deliverance of his people and, uh, and may we be a people that that trust God in this way too, and if if persecution comes boy, we will be running to this book, won't we? We'll be running to this to see how our brothers and sisters who've gone before us faced persecution. But see too, don't don't miss this about how God delivers. It's in mighty ways. Mighty ways. Again, that's what we see happening. We get to see people's reaction to this. I call this God's surprise, the church's praise. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. John Mark. Mark who? Oh, Mark who wrote the gospel. We'll see more of him later. Where many were gathered together and were praying. And this is interesting because it it's means that she had a big room that was able to hold many. Well, this might be where the upper room was, some say, where uh, Jesus had the Last Supper. Maybe where, he, where Pentecost happened. But it's there in Jerusalem. And, and we know Barnabas was related to this person. Barnabas because we find out that Barnabas was cousins to John Mark. So this probably, Mary was probably aunt to Barnabas. This is kind of connecting dots. Because again, these are what? Real people like you and me, right? Who are just faithfully serving and being available however they can. These are real people. This story is littered with people who we just don't talk much about. And that's okay, but it's just recognize that, that God uses and, and draws people in to the church. And again, John Mark, we'll see more of him later. But what a picture of redemption. And we'll see that this young man goes on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he actually bails. Got a little sick, got a little too tough, and he left. And that led to future conflict with Paul. But... There's transformation and redemption even in that, right? He, later on, we find out that Paul said, hey, can you send Mark to me? He's so useful to me, right? We also find out he was robbed with Peter. I mean, many believe that Mark, the gospel of Mark, is just Peter's preachings about the life of Jesus. So there's redemption. Matter of fact, some say that John Mark ended up in going to found the church in Alexandria, which was one of the major centers of, of the Christian, of like one of the headquarters so there's redemption. And again, that, we'll get to that story and just love seeing these people and what God does. He uses regular people in, in very irregular ways. But again, when he had knocked at the door of the gateway, this is the humor, a servant girl named Rhoda, imagine being interviewed by Luke. When Luke said, hey, tell me your part of the story, she's probably embarrassed. But also, I was there, I was part of this, to see God's deliverance. And then she gets to share how, when he, she told it to the people praying, the Christians, how they reacted to her. Imagine her recollection. But it says, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Left him standing there. It's dark, it's night, it's late. But she's so excited, she runs in and forgets to let him in. Tell me that's not real. Have you ever done anything like that in your own excitement? Yeah, this is so real. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. (laughs) She's a young girl, right? Oh, you know, these adults, they're praying, Lord, deliver Peter. Lord, deliver Peter. Oh, he's outside of the gate. Yeah, whatever. Lord, deliver Peter. (laughs) Would you, uh, you understand how they would have reply, responded? I understand that because, yeah. I love that, that time when that guy said, when Jesus says, you know, uh, or with the, uh, when Jesus says, do you believe I can heal? And that man said to him, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. They weren't expecting God to answer their prayers. So, but what happened anyways? God answered their prayers because that's what God does. oh my goodness this is such a great story you're out of your mind they said but she kept on insisting that it was so and they kept saying it is his angel you know garden angel it's not really him but peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed (laughs) you mean the lord delivered him out of that huge antonia fortress just up the road there remember jerusalem's very small city very small Antonia Fortress, it's right next to the temple. Temple's huge. Antonia Fortress was big and it was right next to it. He delivered them out of that? They're amazed. What are you doing standing here? Come on in. (laughs) But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, keep it down, it's late. Again, he could get rearrested. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. So evidently, James, okay, this is not James who was killed, obviously, but this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was starting to take more and more of a prominent role there in in Jerusalem. So they weren't with them at this point, so please go tell them. And then it says, and then he departed from there. And in the book of Acts, at this point, Peter takes a very, he's, he's hardly mentioned at all anymore. We only see him later for the Jerusalem council. Evidently, he went out and again he, he had before when he was uh, before he met with uh, Cornelius, it said that he had been going out and visiting the different uh, believers throughout Judea and, and beyond, and so he went back to do this, but he had to kind of live life on the run a little bit because who wants him? King Herod right there's persecution happening, but he departs from here, and this becomes a shift in the Gospel of Acts to now moving to primarily the Gentile mission under Paul, and we'll see that. But just amazing to see how he fades from the scene, but God's work just continues. In his own work, he was still vital, but he's just not mentioned in the book of Acts as much. Matter of fact, we know that he was ministering because eventually he becomes he gets crucified, right? Upside down under Nero's reign, right? Probably about fifteen, twenty years later from this point. So yeah, we see we see God's amazing deliverance but God's not done yet the man who wanted to crush the church is now going to be pursued by God God's not done yet man's man's kingdom is going to answer and we see it happen here we have divine judgment Herod's doom in the next uh 7 verses or 18 through 24 now, when day came, there was, li- there was no little disturbance, meaning they were totally disturbed, very confused, very upset. Among the soldiers over what had become of Peter, the two soldiers, they wake up, and what do they see between them? Empty space. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, he was chained to us. Not by one chain, by how many? It says two chains. And there were two guards right by the front door, right to his cell. Four of these soldiers uh, were like, "Uh uh-oh, there is no little disturbance. That's an understatement. These are professional soldiers. These aren't security guards that you hire for minimum wage. These are professional soldiers. And they're going to pay a price. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined, interrogated the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. That was the, that was the result. That was your, if you let your criminal go, you get, the, you get the payment that the criminal was going to pay. He, they, got, they executed him. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So he leaves Jerusalem and he goes down to Caesarea along the coast and that's where Cornelius had been, right? And it's 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 the kind of the headquarters, the the government and it's it's primarily a gentile city and and it seems like well he's he he's not fleeing the scene but it kind of feels like it. He's confused and something's happened. <laughs> then we see Herod's conceit. Now Herod was angry. This is changing, we have a new situation here. But it's going to come all together here in a moment here. the whole story will close up. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, that was north in, in what we'd call Lebanon today, north of Israel, along the coast, two important cities of trade. And they came to him with one accord, and, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. Okay, there was conflict. He was angry with them. He didn't control them, but there was some kind of conflict. We don't know why there is anger, but there was a major conflict between them on the coast and King Herod. So they asked for peace. They wanted to arrange a, a meeting, so they go through his, his assistant. and So you see political manipulations going on here. They wanted peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So they needed to have harmony with him. All right. On an appointed day. So now we have a situation where there's there's this is going to culminate here. Uh, this this intrigue, this manipulation, trying to bring peace between this, you know, that those two cities and and King Herod. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. And Josephus actually describes he's a, a historian from that time. He was a he was a a Jewish general who had been fighting against the Romans he was captured and he basically became a Jewish historian uh, during to kind of report about the lives and, and the nation of Israel to the Romans to kind of you know hey make us make things look okay and we're a country you shouldn't crush and so we have a lot of his writings from that time and he actually records what happens here all right, so he says that, that when he came out, he was dressed in his royal robes, but he said that he was, they were almost all in silver. So if you're coming out during the day and you're wearing silver to give a speech, what's going to look like? you got the sun, you're, you're shining, and oh, you look mighty. And it says that he sat down on his throne, his position of power and authority, and he delivered an oration to them. And again, what did the people start doing? The ones who were trying to curry his favor. They're trying to make peace. What are they going to do? We're going to appeal to his ego. Oh, and the people are shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Right? Pumping up his ego. And what did he do? He soaked it in. He soaked it in. They're flattering him. We just see just all this going on. And he was just soaking it up. And immediately it says, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give glory or did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Immediately he was hit. We find out from Josephus, he adds that it actually took five days for him to die. But when he was given the speech that he was struck with amazing stomach pains. And they had to take him away. And then five days later he did die. God struck him down. What does it say? That God opposes the who? The proud. He gives grace to the humble. He was not humble. This secular rule, a ruler, had some Jewish blood in him. He loved the applause of man rather than the fear of God. He loved what he was getting. God wasn't in his viewpoint, in his perspective at all. But because of that, he paid the ultimate price. He loved the applause he was getting. The death he sought for Cedar, uh, for Cedar, for Peter. It's what he received for himself. The favor he sought and received from the Jews, these unbelieving Jews, and then the Phoenicians, Tyre and Sidon, that's what they call them up there. They said it led to his condemnation and doom from God. He received the judgment that he wanted to pronounce on Peter. He was the one who stood condemned because of his opposition. This was a king with with Rome's might behind him. What did God do? made a mockery. That Peter who you thought you had locked up in that mighty fortress, that mighty prison, guarded, chained to two of your professional soldiers, nothing. God walked him out of there in a very humorous way. He, Peter was basically, he was just kind of following the lead. He was, he was so tired. He didn't even realize he thought it was a trance, a vision. <laughs> the story is humorous at how easily God did this. Herod's condemnation, he paid the price for his arrogance, his fighting against God. Again, Psalm 2, the Lord laughs. He, he just what the nation's raging against, against the king. God has no problem. Then the, the final verse in this section, it, it's it kind of end of uh, one of several sections here in the book of Acts already. Acts 6-7 and Acts 9-31 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The kingdom of God prevails over the kingdom of man. That's a straight up. This is, that's just the, to, tell the, to tell the Christian church God reigns and God's rule is the ultimate rule. The obstacles that have been faced all the way through the books of Acts has only served to unify the church, to purify the church, to draw in the Samaritans, to draw in the Gentiles, to see every obstacle just obliterated. And the kingdom advances. God multiplies his church. Indeed, this is such an example of Matthew 16, 18. Right? And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Don't miss I, I know I emphasize that every time, but we can't miss it. We can't miss it. When I when I've been to other countries in my past and meeting pastors who are in situations where they are literally if they were to go to certain villages, they'd be killed. Some of them can't go back to their own villages. They told us that. I said, Yeah, when I became a Christian and got baptized, they took me and my wife outside the city or outside the little village and beat us hard. And they said, If you come back, we will kill you. But this is what gives them hope. The gospel advancing. And they know that if they're to die, that's God's, God's in charge of that. And they know that if, if they go into a situation, God may do what? Instead, may deliver them. But this is the hope they have when they, they read the book of Acts and see what God does to build his church. And if they say, and I've heard them say, look, if I die, that's all right. Where am I, I going to end up? With the Lord for eternity. God's power is on display. But also, too, we talked about this. God uses the dependent and persistent prayers of his people to fight this war. So I'm going to read Acts, or Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and just listen to this. And with that, we'll close, and then we'll go into a time of prayer tonight, okay? So Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Take your stand, hold your ground, together. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Making supplication for all the saints. I'll just stop there. Prayer. Four times in the last verse and a half here. We've got to be praying. We've got to be praying. That's our warfare. And again, using the word of God, that's the sword of the spirit, putting all these things in. But we can't miss prayer. And what's the hardest thing to do? Pray. We're in a busy culture. We live busy lives. We have our to-do lists. We have email. My phone goes off. I get buzzed all the time. We're in our elder meeting yesterday morning, and we just constantly see things popping up on different, you know, cell phones, and that's just our lives right now. But prayer says stop, drop, get on your knees, and just talk to God, beseech God, pray to God, because He hears us and He cares. And he's got his plan that's relentlessly moving forward. And may he do that here. Right? We want to be praying again for Bethany, but we're praying for the other churches in this area. There are other gospel-believing churches. Some need to be refined, certainly. We do too, though. There's things that we need to get better at, right? We'll, We'll always need to. But may God be glorified, and may we be praying constantly for, you know, Look around this room. I'm going to pray for some of you. I know I'm i just meeting some of you, right? Getting to know you. But there's others that I pray for you all the time. I Hope you're praying for me. We need it, right? We all need it. We need to be praying for each other. Praying for all the saints. Making supplication for all the saints. We'd be praying for each other. We'd stand firm. That we'd be excited about our faith. Excited to, to, to let people know about the love of God in Christ Jesus. Excited to see each other when we come on Sunday mornings. Even though it's early, we're tired, but boy, to see each other and to see that excitement—that what God is doing in His people, Amen. So let's let's uh, close in prayer, and then we'll move in time of after we turn that off. Uh, close in prayer, and and we'll be praying for our church and different things that we can. Okay, let's pray, Lord, thank you for uh, your Word. We have certain passages that just give us. Uh, commands and give us uh, directions on how to live differently but we also have passages like these that, that unveil how you played out your plan in, in people's lives real people and we can we can uh, walk alongside in this story alongside them to, to see in a way what's happening and to watch you work with real people and, and work in ways that are just unexpected and, and awe inspiring and so, Lord, some of these stories are very familiar to many of us, but we, because they're familiar, we miss them. We read past them too quickly. So, Lord, thank you for Rhoda and her response. Thank you for the believers who didn't believe her at first. Thank you for Peter, who had to be guided out of the prison because he thought he was dreaming. <laughs> Lord, just so amazing to see your power and your patience. And your care and your compassion, just in this story here, but also your power to deliver your people, to carry forward your gospel. Man's kingdoms can never prevail over your kingdom, and that's our hope. Our hope is in you, Lord Jesus, and what you are doing, what you have done, and Lord, for your ultimately for your return, we want you to come back, <laughs> come come quickly, Lord Jesus. But as long as we are here, as long as you give us life to live, a breath to breathe. Lord, as long as you give us energy to get up and get moving, Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to devote ourselves more and more to you, to be your people, living for your glory, to declare the greatness and the, and the wonder of your mercy and grace in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to this community, wherever you would have us go. But Lord, help us to shine brightly, to be a, uh, that light to the, this community where you've placed us. Lord, thank you for our time in your word. And Lord, keep. we just pray that you keep working on our hearts. Change us, grow us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.